Welcome to Being Rare, a community conversations platform where we discuss several topics and how they relate to rare illness and the special needs community. Being Rare is brought to you by the Iwi Foundation, a 501c3 healthcare advocacy organization. To learn more about the Iwi Foundation, visit us online at www.theiwifoundation.org. Join the conversation by subscribing or following Being Rare wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to this special Father's Day edition of Being Rare. In this episode, my husband Kareem sits down with fellow rare advocate Aaron Lugwit to talk about life and a rare disease journey. Listen as Aaron shares their story. All right, welcome to Being Rare, uh, the special Father's Day edition. Um, I'm your host tonight, um, Kareem Edwards, and I've got here with me one uh, super dude, dad of a trisomy 18 kid, and uh, I will let him introduce himself. So uh, can you tell us who you are, um, what you do, and a little bit about your family? Yeah, I'm Aaron Ludwig, uh, father of Mimi Ludwig, who happens to have full trisomy 18. Uh, also known as Edwards syndrome. Uh, we've also got a five-year-old son, uh, Clay, and my wife, Melissa Fox, um, kind of helps keep things in the house going around. Awesome, awesome stuff, man. So um, so Aaron, um, I, I would imagine being the father, well, I know as a, as a dad myself, being a father, is uh, is a huge responsibility, but um, being a father to a uh, my child that has um, that's medically complex or what some people call special needs is um, adding to the pressure of being a dad. So, what type of challenges do you face as a as a dad of a kid that's medically complex? So there there are definitely a lot of challenges uh, that we face. Uh, caring for Mimi, I think, you know, over time we've gotten used to these challenges and they, you know, become more natural and less challenging for us. But um, particularly as new parents, we found that caring for Mimi, um, living in and out of a hospital can be extremely difficult and taxing on, you know, family, the siblings, uh, even extended family, because you know, at times you rely on them to help help with, uh, you know, childcare and other things, you know. Um, I would also say organizing the care of our child and scheduling all the appointments, um, making sure that orders are in place and that all the teams are on the same page can, can definitely be a challenge. Um, and also, under, even understanding uh, what these medical specialists are telling you can be challenging at times. You know, you, you're hit with these, these big phrases and words and diagnoses, and, you know, it's kind of up to you to self-educate and figure out what exactly that means and what your options are. Um, unfortunately, the medical community doesn't always spell it out for you, you know. Um, yeah, so yeah, that's uh, those are 
a ton of challenges on top of being a being a, a dad or a, a parent of what do you call it what people call a normal kid yeah, yeah so um I definitely can relate to that. Uh, it adds a, a totally new dynamic, like I said, to the to the situation. My wife and I have five kids total, and so um, we thought we knew everything about parent. We we had parenting down pat, <laughs> yeah. right? Like we're yeah. professionals, whatever. And then comes Elijah with with his medical complexities, and we're like, whoa, whoa! It's like starting exactly. all over again, almost. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, <laughs> so it's 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 amazing. I wouldn't trade it for yeah. anything. Um, so, so what, uh, what would Mimi's, uh, what are some of Mimi's favorite activities around the house or on a so, daily basis? Uh, you know, being immunocompromised, uh, COVID has really also added some challenges to our lives. Um, it's really limited some of the activities that we're able to do. Um, you know, if Mimi were to get sick, I would not probably work out well for anybody. Um, <laughs> I think one of the, some of the things that she appreciates, I think the most, and she gets the most uh, out of would be even just therapies. Uh, we do physical therapy virtually. And, um, you know, we get her standing, we get her sitting, we get her, um, you know, doing these activities that she's, you know, without assistance, she can't do all day by herself. And, she just gets uh, kind of a, a real sense of pride and joy out of, you know, feeling like a big girl, I guess you'd, you'd put it. Um, she really loves floor time with her brother. Um, we'll put out a play mat and just let them both hang out on the floor together and, you know, get all the toys out and give them time to interact where, you know, they're, uh, Shoot, I can't think of the words, but um, well, just cutting up as as some as a, a couple of siblings, right? Like, yeah, uh, my my kids do that too. Yeah. Like they have what do you call a dance party playing together. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. Some good some good sibling interaction. So she definitely gets a lot out of her therapies. Um, yeah, me. Uh, I also have to try to share time with Clay. I think that's another challenge. Is you know, allowing, spending time with him to make him feel special too. And so we, he and I have started fishing uh, a little bit here and there. Uh, we even had Mimi come with us uh, last week and I'm not sure she enjoyed it a whole lot being out in the sun, but uh, she didn't complain too much. So <laughs> that's good stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, fishing, fishing, it can be fun and relaxing. So yeah. I'm told. I'm I'm not a fisher myself, but, it can be but I'm told it's that it's, it's good and good and relaxing. Yeah, yeah. and boring. I, I see it as yeah. boring, but I mean, I'm I'm not a judge of yeah. fishermen at all. It's got it's got to be something to it because so many people do it. Yeah. Right? Um. Yeah. So um. So that's good. So you do you think um you mentioned therapy? Do you think um the doing it virtually? Do you think that has is as effective as one uh in real time or, uh so so we did used to do physical therapies uh place here in grand rapids and you know it's it's since covid we had to kind of quit going uh it's a pretty busy facility right. there's anytime we've been there there's hundreds of people there and you know 
virtual therapy probably isn't as effective. Most of the time it's either me or Melissa and a nurse who are doing the therapies with Mimi. The therapist is on the other end of the, the video conference. And, you know, I'm no physical therapist myself, so I don't have the education that the therapist does to, you know, incorporate into our session. Um, she can try her best to walk us through it. Um, but again, I think Mimi, she does her best at home. She's always the most comfortable at home. I know this isn't the same with every child, but when we would take her to outpatient therapies, at times she would pretend like she's asleep or just act like she's completely not interested. And, um, you know, it's so it, it wasn't always productive. And, you know, for right. the amount of work that it was to get her out of the house, get her into therapies, bring her home, you know, I think for Mimi, I think she does get a lot out of it at home and virtually. I, th I think a lot right. of it is just her sense of pride from doing it in the first place. You know, her standing right. brings yeah. her joy. And, you know, we can do that at home and we can do that elsewhere. But right now it's probably safest that we do it at home. So, um, you know, yeah, we, we have to make some sacrifice. Um, but I, I think maybe we've, I, I think we're making the right sacrifices at this point. Yes, absolutely. And that, and that's perfectly the correct or the, the answer that I was looking for. Like, um, it, because it's virtual, a lot of times uh, I think I'm hearing in uh, in society that because it's virtual, it's yeah. not as good. But exactly. I, I think I think you're absolutely right. Um, if you're if, if they're experiencing therapy in a comfort in a place of comfort, I think they get more right. out of it than if we travel to this strange place and now I got to figure out where I am and who are these, all these people <laughs> and, and it's kind of distracting yeah, if nothing yeah. else, right? Mimi's so, always, so I think, I think you're spent, right. She spent a lot of time in, you know, the hospital and in medical facilities and she's been to, you know, hundreds of doctor's appointments. So um, she's always very wary of her surroundings and um, right. I think it, it brings her a certain level of anxiety to be out of the house and, in these, you know, in these places. So for her to yeah, be at home in her comfort zone, I think at this point she does get the most out of it, you know? Yep, I, I would totally agree with that. Um, and so um, so what do you think would be the, the most bizarre thing that's happened um, to you guys from, from conception of Mimi to uh, today? Uh, Again, we've, we've had a lot of bizarre things uh, happen over the couple years being trisomy parents. Um, I think maybe the most bizarre uh, would be kind of the way we were treated throughout our experience with maternal fetal medicine. Um, we kind of experienced a lot of pressure to terminate and you know, we got Mimi's diagnosis at 18 weeks and um, I, you know, throughout our entire pregnancy, the pressure was there. Uh, we even found out that Mimi had a heart defect and we were told by a cardiologist that, that 
no one, no surgeon in the country would perform open heart surgery on our daughter. Now, we had been on a few of the social media websites and groups for trisomy parents. So we knew that wasn't necessarily true, but you don't argue with a medical professional in the middle of an appointment, you, you know? Um, but bizarrely, I guess within six hours, uh, we got back on social media and were connected with uh, Mimi's cardiologist, uh, who's, you know, he, a couple days later, called me personally on the phone and we had, you know, about a 45 minute conversation about instances in which he would possibly deny a surgery, but he explained that when the time came, if she was, if she had a stable airway and she was, you know, able to gain weight and grow and, um, you know, if all these things fell in line that he, there's really no reason for him to deny her a surgery solely based on the number of her chromosomes um and you know Mimi was born yeah we've had a few struggles throughout the throughout her life but uh at just before her first birthday we had her open heart surgery and you know I think it's just almost bizarre the way that um you know we were told that that just wasn't an option and, you know, within hours or days, a uh, cardiologist who was less than a mile down the street was the one who advised for this surgery to happen, you know? Um, yeah. Sad, sad reality, you know, but um, it's, it's what families with trisomy uh, have to face. Agreed. Yeah, that's, uh, that is bizarre that uh, you would think a hospital uh, a mile you said a mile down the road less, less than a mile down the road yeah Le yep. less than a mile oh gosh you think that would have been the first thing okay we're going to refer you to yeah um, this guy he does uh, open heart surgery or whatever type of surgery yep. um and we're gonna we're gonna send you over to him and let him decide um and the conversation that you had with the cardiologist in my opinion should have been the conversation at the hospital uh at birth or at our um, original like, appointment yeah the criteria is if if the kid can gain weight and i think i've got an open airway where we can intubate them for surgery um then we should we should try it full circle um and not give any false hope to the parent like uh this is going to be the the answer but um uh, it is what we're it is a uh strike at trying to fix the problem um or address the issue like um yeah and it's amazing that uh, that the the uh, there's no restriction on that. A, a, a medical professional can speak to you in that manner. Uh, so <laughs> to me, it's condescending. I don't know. Uh, yeah, uh, it's, in, in it's, the moment, it's, anyways. It's rough to deal with too. I mean, you're you're taught to you grow up uh, thinking that these people are you know trustworthy and. Uh, what they say is yeah. uh, set in stone and you know it's we found out that we really had to question uh, all the specialists that we were interacting with and um, you know kind of suss out who we could trust and who we couldn't yes and and that's a terrible time to have to have to go through there right like <laughs> um, 
exactly kind of like so, with, you know yeah, you're dealing yeah. with so much right. you know with prenatally after getting these diagnoses and finding out that she she has a heart defect also and um you know they lay it on thick uh yes. when you're in a high risk uh situation like that and um yeah yes they, sir. they don't offer a whole lot of hope right yeah and, and no regard for your feelings they're like hey <laughs> your kid your kid has a heart defect and he's probably gonna die and i don't and i don't want to do anything about it is yeah. that's not what the words that they use but yeah. that's how it comes across right like um exactly sorry this this is the this is the way the life goes my friend um, yeah and you the parent are left there to just deal with it um so in hindsight is there anything um that you would do different um if anything at all um i you know in hindsight there's time has always been uh a major restriction um right. as a trisomy parent uh you know i think i would I would try my best to find more time to do more research um, to to keep up on uh, the social media posts and updates for you know our family and friends. Um, you know it's tough to to keep everyone up to date and have these individual conversations with everyone in your life. Uh, so social media has always been a way that we you know, keep our loved ones informed without having to go through the exhausting conversations a hundred times, you know. Um, but Mimi was in the NICU for two months and we did a lot of updates and it just, it just became really time consuming and it actually, you know, took away from family time and time I could be spending with my son Clay or caring for my daughter Mimi. So you know, that's one thing I did stray away from a bit. I uh, got more away from the social media. Um, but I think it was probably worth it to, you know, pick up time spent with the family and, you know, keeping keeping up the house too, you know. Um, I, I, think, I think another thing I maybe would have tried to do differently. I don't think um, we necessarily missed any steps in Mimi's care, but I think I would have uh, potentially pushed for earlier intervention as far as getting her her tracheostomy and her ventilator. Um, early on in her first few months, we had a lot of apnea, apneic episodes. Um, airway issues, her basically collapsing her airway, and these are scary, and, you know, they're, they're not fun to deal with, and, you know, once we got Mimi the trach, she, she was a different child. Um, caring for her was completely different, but it also wasn't as frightening at times, because we knew that uh, we could resuscitate her or if we brought her to the hospital she wouldn't necessarily have to be intubated immediately um and sedated you know um so uh, i think her heart her heart failure was uh managed properly and i think her open heart surgery was done at, at the proper time you know she was she was a good size but uh i, I have heard 
um, from doctors that earlier intervention can be better and more beneficial. And, you know, there's no way to tell that now, but I think, I think it only could have helped a little bit more, you know, um, just to get those things done and out of the way uh, sooner rather than later, you know. Agreed. Yep. Yeah, I'm, I'm even, I don't know where I heard it, but uh, I promise, I think I heard that um, there are some therapies that can be done uh, even prenatally for for kids before they're yes. even born. So, yep. so yeah, so that's something that's, that's really exciting and uh, I'm sure will be helpful for, or would have been helpful um, hindsight for, for myself anyways, knowing uh, what I know now, uh, which is, uh, that's one of the, that's one of the goals of the foundation, the, the EWI foundation, that is uh, to, uh, to help educate in, in areas like that, to, to get earlier intervention and to, uh, we're advocating for newborn screenings and, and things of that nature, newborn screenings for every kid, that is. Yeah, and I think I think a lot of it goes back to education too. You know, if uh, if at the time I had I had known these things or had heard that, um, you know, the prognosis of earlier in intervention is uh, probably better, then you know maybe we would have been more pushy along the way. Um, but yeah, we've always tried to find that balance between uh, pushy and likable because we want the best care for Mimi. And I don't think you're going to get that if you're the, the mean parent, you know, <laughs> or the demanding uh, patient, you know. Right, right. Yeah, you got to find, you definitely got to find balance. And then, too, um, what we found is you, you can't be afraid to fire a doctor as well. Uh, yeah, we, we've had to do that, or a therapist. We've had to do that a couple of times. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, yeah, yeah, you get some that uh, just aren't working out well. Yeah. And we've been there, you know. Um, unfortunately, but yeah, you do have to not be afraid. You gotta, you gotta find the best care for your child Yes, and absolutely. you know, you gotta do whatever it takes to do that. Yes, sir. That's, that's that, that's the very heart of advocating for your parents, <laughs> like, uh, for your kids. Um, and that's something that we found out, uh, we, we say that we went from being, um, aggravated to angry to advocates, like, <laughs> yep. like, so, um, so we found out like to your point that uh, it does you no good to be a whiny parent or be a, I need this and I need that and I want you to do yeah. this and I want you to do that, yeah. but uh, definitely advocate in, in the areas of this is what we need, this is what we would like, how can we get there? And if we can't work together as a patient doctor to get there, then we probably should find somebody else. Yeah, I think, uh, I think if a medical professional sees you as informed and um, the fact that you understand uh, what it takes to care for your child, um, the options you have as far as uh, treating your child, um, they really, I think, respect that. Right. And it really, I think, makes them take a step back and realize that, um, you know, we're not just doing it to do it. We're doing it right. to help our child. Yeah, to, to your point, though, you know, uh, I think it's important to for uh, the medical professionals to understand that um, I'm not just trying to, um, I'm not just 
kicking theories around here. As a parent, I see this kid um, and I live with this kid and I think this would work best uh, regardless of what your what your uh, medical background says or what your medical education says. Um, I think this would be best. And if you don't see it that way, that's fine. But uh, unless I'm being totally ridiculous, then I think it's something that we should give a try or find some sort of compromise, some, uh, meet yeah. in the middle. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so I, th I think I, I think a lot of doctors uh, have a hard time understanding that at times they can be wrong, yes, and that they're not always the expert. Right. And I think if they uh, if they're able to tell that you have become an expert in the care of your child, then uh, that's going to hold them more accountable, and I think they're going to uh, maybe treat you differently. You know. Right. Absolutely. I 100% agree with that. I 100% agree. So tell me again, how old is Mimi again? She she turned three in March. She'll be her, three birthday in March. Actually, oh, she... her birthday is actually Trisomy 18 Awareness Day. Oh, wow. Old days. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So she just turned three and uh, our Elijah just turned four on the on the 28th okay. of, um, of March. So yeah, it's awesome. All right, so, uh, so what resources, Aaron, need to be available um, for kids like ours that don't exist right now? Um, you know, oddly, uh, one of the most uh, powerful resources that we've found along the way has been social media, um, Facebook groups of families dealing with trisomy 18 and trisomy 13. And... Um, you know, we reach out to these people who are going through the same experiences and uh, we find support through each other. And, um, you know, it's maybe not the best place for medical advice. Right. Um, <laughs> right. But it's it's a place to connect. It's, you know, it's a place uh, to to find like a lot of, I think a lot of people find um, doctors and find trisomy friendly hospitals through resources like Facebook uh, because there aren't many other resources out there that are gonna do the same things. Um, I think other resources um, that are utmost, most important would be a supportive hospital, a hospital that is going to treat your child with uh, an extra chromosome the same as they would any other child. Uh, I think without a trisomy friendly hospital, um, things can be really tricky for families and they may never go the way you really want them to. Um, we had to, you know, after going through maternal fetal medicine here locally, we ended up getting second opinions uh, two hours away. Uh, and, you know, we ended up doing most or nearly all of Mimi's care two hours away on the other side of the state um, because, you know, they were supportive and we didn't, we didn't run into the friction that we had here locally. You know, they, they agreed that if, if, she comes out and she's fighting that you know they it's a it's a case-by-case -case basis basically and it's not uh 
we're gonna we're gonna limit the care that you receive based on the number of your chromosomes. Um, other resources that I think are really helpful. Um, we have early on here in Michigan, which is uh, early education. We could do uh, speech therapies through them. We currently do just physical therapy through them. Um, Pre-COVID, they were they were doing in-home services. Uh, now we're doing virtually, but I think that will change pretty soon here, since uh, case numbers in Michigan are down pretty well. Um, I think other resources that uh, aren't widely available but are really important for families like ours are educational resources. Um, you know or awareness resources that can help uh, help families through these difficult times and, you know, let you know some of the options that you have um, instead of just being told by someone that it's not available, you know, um, maybe it is available, but it's available on the other side of the state or uh, possibly in another state. Other resources <laughs> that are good, um, We've done a lot of outpatient therapies. Um, you know, there's a lot of different types of facilities around that are able to do these um, physical therapies, speech therapies, um, occupational therapies, just to help, you know, get your child moving and experiencing these different things like other, uh, like other children would. Um, you know, they, I think they help make our children feel more normal and feel more achieved. And I think there's a lot that they get out of that, you know? Oh, go ahead. One, sorry, one other resource that we here have available to us um, is the Children's Healing Center in Grand Rapids. Um, now, Mimi being on a ventilator, she's not actually able to attend. Um, but basically it's a, it's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a place that is as close to germ free um, as possible. You know, they have a lot of rules and a lot of guidelines and, you know, teams of people that uh, help out, but we are able to bring clay there every once in a while for like activities and art, art nights. Um, we are able to get him out there on the playground where it's literally just him and mom and one other person. And, you know, it's, it's a time, a place for him to play um, safely, I guess, and as germ-free as possible so that, you know, we don't have to stress about, bringing these germs and illnesses back home to Mimi. Um, you know, I, I, I guess I can't stress the, the value of something like that. Um, I know it's not available to everyone in every city, uh, but it's definitely something to look into. And if these resources are available near you, then I think you should try them out because uh, they've definitely benefited Melissa and Clay and given me and Mimi a little more quiet time away from her big brother, you know, uh, and once I think once she comes off the ventilator, she'll be totally welcome there, um, you know, 
in the years to come. So we're looking forward to that. Absolutely. Yeah, I think um, it's that there's definitely a need to um, for um, to to that point more inclusive uh, fun stuff like um, yeah. Like uh, recently, I had a kid that graduated from college, and it's something that we never even thought about. It. So we're not we're not angry about it, but it just opens our eyes to to things like um, um, at a at a graduation at a college graduation, they have a they have a spot that's accessible for wheelchairs, and us having a kid that's in a wheelchair, we never even thought about like what would we do if we go to somewhere um, that doesn't have a wheelchair accessible. <laughs> Um, yeah. or what have you and that yeah. was just like so awesome but um to your point um mimi's on a ventilator right so a lot of places yeah. aren't going to be ventilator friendly so um yeah. so yeah so that's that's a that's a good call out for um playgrounds and uh public facilities that um it's not fair for for kids uh, to that have ventilators to not be able to or they need oxygen to not be able to enjoy um so so I, I think that's a that's a good resource to to have in mind um did you have something else it looks like looked like you were gonna say something else to uh, uh yeah to to. throughout throughout uh the last three or four years uh we we every once in a while we hear about uh our local hospital has, I, I've heard, a complex care coordinator. And I think the idea is they help the families schedule and group together appointments, um, you know, just to take off some of the, some of the, um, some of the work, I guess, of the parent or the caretaker uh, with, you know, organizing the care of a medically complex child. I don't know if we just don't have the right insurance or, uh, or if this position got canned, but uh, we've actually never been able to uh, gain access to a complex care coordinator. And, you know, I, me being the one that um, organizes uh, Mimi's uh, feeding tube changes, it can be incredibly difficult, especially when we're dealing with two different hospitals, you know, her her pediatric surgeon is two hours away and he's the one that has to place orders. So I have to call and have orders placed and faxed over to our local hospital. Um, I have to call the local hospital, make sure that those orders were in fact placed and that they're in their system. Uh, I have to make sure that they have the proper uh, feeding device on hand so that when we show up to the appointment, they have the right to, to, you know, to use. And some of these can be, you know, it's once you, once you think that this team is finally going to get it down, you're proven wrong. And, you know, it, it can be incredibly frustrating. Um, but it's, as a parent, it's something that you just have to stay on top of. You have to be, um, you have to be vocal because, these other teams and, you know, they're not going to do the footwork for you. And if you show up to an appointment and they don't have the proper device on hand to them, it's really no sweat, but to you, it's, 
it's more risk. It's a whole nother outing out of the house and, you know, a lot more headache <laughs> than just picking up the phone and making sure that everything is in place before you show up. Um, but yeah, I guess that's also another one of the challenges is, um, yeah, orchestrating the care of your child. Great. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a really good point uh, there, Aaron. So is there, um, what, um, what advice would you give to um, this, this family that has just received a diagnosis that you're your, or uh, a prenatal diagnosis that your kid is uh, right now with trisomy 18. I know you you said there was a lot of um, talk about abortion and things of that nature for you and your wife um, after you received your diagnosis uh, prenatally. So what what advice would you give as a as a word of, word from the wise? Um, I think I think any families who are facing a diagnosis of trisomy 18. Um, they really need to um, figure out their wants and needs and what they're willing to sacrifice. Uh, they need to find a hospital who is willing to support their needs and, you know, their end goals. Um, I think they need to, you know, ask these difficult questions and uh pry and you know kind of push push the doctors to you know have these difficult discussions and you know what are we going to do six months down the road if this happens or um you know i think i think families need to do their research once they do get a diagnosis of any type they have to go out and educate themselves, uh, figure out options and, you know, treatments and figure out what, what is best for them and their child. Um, you know, it is extremely difficult at times being a parent to a kid with trisomy 18, but um, it's just as difficult and at times more difficult being a father to uh a kid with the proper amount of chromosomes, you know? So it's just <laughs> different types of challenges and it's, it can all be exhausting, but um, you really need to um, figure out what is, what you're willing to sacrifice the footwork that you're uh, willing to do and, you know, get your medical team in line to support you throughout that, you know? Yeah, good stuff. So, what um, what encouragements do you have for for the parent who's who's in the thick of it now, and they're they're battling day in and day out? Because I know that um, as as many good days as we have, um, we we uh, being real, there are bad days as well. So, what what encouragement do you have for those guys that are that are in the thick of it and feeling like, oh my gosh, this is just way too much for me? Uh, I think it's, you know, I think it's different for every parent, but I, I can't say anything has brought me more joy than my daughter Mimi. Um, she is literally the happiest uh, human I've ever interacted with. Um, 
you know, I get home from work and she lights up. Her brother runs up to her crib and, you know, she just goes wild. And, you know, she she does bring so much joy to this family. Yeah, she has faced a lot of challenges and, you know, she is, she is delayed and, you know, she's not quite doing a lot of the things that other girls her same age are, but he, you know, she does have the capacity to love and, and feel the love coming from her family, um, which I, it's not just Mimi. I see this through so many of the trisomy kids. It's, you know, it's really rewarding. Um, and I would say question everything you're told because um, you may you may be able to prove someone otherwise someday. Yeah, absolutely. That, that sounds like some good advice. Yeah, so um, these kids are, um, are labeled special needs, but I think as you just mentioned, they are special people. Uh, all around because uh, they do uh, provide that it's like uh, it's like the heartbeat of the family kind of deal. <laughs> yeah. because um, you would if you would think that um, despite all or in spite of all they've gone through you would think that they would be uh, of low countenance and depressed and so, but but these are some of the happiest kids <laughs> yeah yeah. Elijah, like he was just <laughs> excited, man. Like, yeah. um, like it's it's amazing, and and it and it um, it's infectious, right? So, so exactly, like you it said, when you, yeah. when you come in from from work, it, work may have beat you up all day, but then to see Mimi get excited to see Dad, <laughs> I'm sure that that uh, yeah. gives you yeah. another it burst. All goes yeah, it all goes away, man. Heck yeah, for sure. Uh, that's awesome stuff. All right, well, um. Aaron, I, I think that's our time for, for today. And um, I want to really thank you for opening up and sharing um, your family with us and giving us some great insight and things to think about um, for, uh, for myself personally and for uh, our listeners. And um, hopefully we'll get to connect again at a different time. Would you like to uh, close out with any additional information or... Um, words to um, close. I, I don't I don't have anything else I guess no I, I want to thank you though uh, I definitely appreciate you guys reaching out to me and uh, yeah thank you all right the Ewe Foundation is a proud supporter of the Being Rare podcast to learn more visit us online at www foundation.org That's www.theweefoundation.org. Also follow us on all social media platforms at Everyone Is We.